1990, director Martin Scorsese gave the world the most realistic depiction of the mob world with the film Goodfellas. In 2019, Buffalo Trace gives us a bourbon that tries to set the bar for inexpensive whiskeys. The film is Goodfellas. The whiskey is benchmark number eight. And we'll review them both. This is the, the Film, film and, and Whiskey, whiskey Podcast. Podcast. Film and Whiskey Podcast, where each week we review a classic movie and a glass of whiskey. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And this week we're looking at the 1990 film Goodfellas. For most of the guys, killings got to be accepted. Murder was the only way that everybody stayed in line. You got out of line, you got whacked. Everybody knew the rules. But sometimes, even if people didn't get out of line, they got whacked. I mean, hits just became a habit for some of the guys. Guys would get into arguments over nothing, and before you knew it, one of them was dead. And they were shooting each other all the time. Shooting people was a normal thing. It was no big deal. Brad, this was your first time watching Goodfellas. This was my very first time watching Goodfellas. I've probably seen it like 20 times. So, yeah. You've seen the movie 20 times? I probably have. Why? I mean, just growing up with a dad that liked to watch movies where people get shot and stuff. I really you know? want to know how old you were the first time you saw Goodfellas. You know, I probably was in high school. Like, I wasn't... Okay. A small child yeah. running around the house watching Goodfellas, but... See, I still wonder if this movie was good for my soul <laughs> as a 28-year-old man. As a grown man. As a grown man. So let's get into your first viewing of the movie Goodfellas, because I want to hear your thoughts. Goodfellas is one of the most universally highly regarded films of all time. You know, it, it's, it appears on the AFI's 100 best list. Right. It's on IMDb's top 250 in a pretty high place. I think it's like in the 30s or above. Uh, so Brad, as you went into this movie, not knowing anything about it, what did you think was going to happen or what did you think the movie was going to be like? The only thing I, the only preconceived notions I really had about the movie was that it was a mob movie uh -huh. about mobsters, about gangsters. Um, other than that, I had absolutely no clue. And the other, the other part of it is that I think I've only ever seen one other Scorsese film. Uh, I saw Silence, which was a phenomenal. Oh, that was film. a great movie. Yeah, really but great completely movie. different. But completely in different. style, in tone, yeah. editing is is completely different. Yeah, and I think that I I knew that Scorsese had directed Wolf of Wall Street, which I hadn't seen, but obviously had seen the previews, and that's about all you need to know. Right. And so knowing all of that about Scorsese, I I I genuinely didn't know what to expect because my two points of reference were Silence, which is a quiet film, if you will. <laughs> right. And Wolf of Wall Street, which is a loud film. And this is definitely closer to Wolf of Wall Street yeah. in the way that it's put together. Yeah. It probably is Scorsese's best known film. Yeah. I mean, we, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull for sure. Uh, but Goodfellas is probably more popular than both of those. And it's definitely Scorsese. In some ways, it's his most personal film. And all of his movies are personal to some extent. But he really wanted to recreate the environment that he saw growing up as a kid. And yeah. so if you read, you know, research on Goodfellas, mm -hmm. the attention to detail was crazy. Right. Like I've heard that he actually would tie Ray Liotta's tie for him before every take 
so that it would look authentic to the way that the gangsters in his neighborhood would really? tie their ties. Yeah. I also want everybody to know that as Bob's talking, he's like throwing. I'm his giving hand you like around. the Italian hand. He's giving yeah. me the Italian yeah, yeah. hand. So this talking. movie was like a throwback to Scorsese's youth. I think that you know you get a little bit of. Uh, his his struggle with his Catholicism and his mm-hmm. faith. But for the most part, it's just you get put right into this mobster world. Yeah. And you're immersed in it the whole movie. Yeah, I think I think that Scorsese's goals for how he wanted to transport you through the the life of a mobster really hit me hard um, in the sense that like the movie starts and they're driving. Mm-hmm. They're driving down the road and you think, well, maybe they hit a bump. But I know this is a mobster movie, so maybe they hit a person and I'm not really sure what's going on. And then they pull over and there's a dude in a sheet all bloodied up and they're Mm -hmm. like surprised that he's still alive. And at that point, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, like, you know, they're mobsters. They're going to bury a dude. Right. Got to go see about a horse. Like, it's, you know, it's kind (laughs) of kind of normal stuff. And then Joe Pesci pulls out a butcher's knife from his thing out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, and he pulls it out in such a way that it looks like he's pulling out a gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many movies have we seen where, you know, the FBI agent reaches into his jacket and pulls out a gun? Yeah. And, and like, it, like it's right where the, the holster is. And so you expect him to pull out a gun, and Robert De Niro already has his gun out. He's, right. like, ready to roll. Yeah, sure. And Joe Pesci pulls out a butcher's knife. Yeah. And at that point, I, I was just like, oh, man, th- this movie is... It's going to be brutal. Way beyond what I expected. Yeah, it, to be. it that opening hits you like a ton of bricks. And yeah. it's the thing I love about Goodfellas is that even when they're playing that triumphant kind of music right at the mm-hmm. beginning, when Ray Liotta says, you know, all my life, I always wanted to be a gangster. And right. it, it bursts in with this peppy right. music. You know that however much they try to glorify the lifestyle in the mm-hmm. eyes of the child, Henry Hill, by the time he hits this point, you're like, oh, he's into some deep stuff right now. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think that honestly, for me, is the most brilliant part of the film is that Scorsese from the very beginning, the, the opening scene in a lot of ways can be the most important scene in a movie. And in Goodfellas, it definitely is for the fact that you see from the very start the reality of what mm-hmm. it means to be a gangster. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the movie, uh, the first three quarters of the movie, if you cut out the opening scene, is Scorsese trying to convince you that the mob life is awesome. Yeah, well, I think... His but in, in the back of your head the entire time, you know what the mob life is actually about because you yeah, saw it. Yeah, and I, that's the thing. I don't think... And I think he does a better job in Goodfellas than he does in like Wolf of Wall Street with this, but... He's not trying to convince you that this is the preferred life. He's not trying to recruit you. Yeah. But he wants you to be able to see why people are attracted to that lifestyle. You know, and he actually, there's a good quote. He said that he wanted to begin Goodfellas like a gunshot and have it get faster from there, almost like a two and a half hour trailer. I think it's the only way, he said, that you can really sense the exhilaration of the lifestyle and get a sense of why a lot of people are attracted to it. See, that's interesting to me because... The opening did come off like a gunshot, and then the first half of the movie felt like a person laying on a gurney after they got shot, just doing nothing. So you felt like it lost momentum. It totally lost momentum. And I, to me, I thought it – hearing that quote surprises me because I thought he meant to do that. To me, it came across as like, here's here's the worst of what gangster life has mm-hmm. to offer. And then to me, it almost felt like, 
a sprawling vista of him just like slowly panning across this beautiful picture of what it would the good life of being sure. a gangster. And to me, it felt like a very slow, elongated look. I don't know if I would call it slow because the thing that with this movie is that it gives you really brief snippets of the lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it you don't see a lot of narrative thread. You see him saying, OK, yeah. we we bought this joint. We ran stuff out the back of it. Once we ran up too much debt, we burned it down. And you right. kind of see all these things being cut together. You see him blowing up cars and it prepares you. I think everything in this movie is building towards that final day when Henry yeah. Hill gets arrested right. and he's he's strung out on right. coke and you know what God knows what else. Yeah. And the editing gets so fast and so sort of frenetic that I think that everything in the movie is kind of preparing you for it. But I will say that I can understand where you're coming from in that, you know, you don't get a lot of progression from scene to scene. You just get like, OK, here's a two minute scene. Here's right. a two minute scene. And so it might to some people, it might yeah. sort of halt the progression. Which is interesting because in our last episode about Anchorman, we talked about how the fact that there's not a narrative thread and it feels like a bunch of individual scenes yeah, yeah. was a bad thing. Right. But in Goodfellas, it's almost a, a good thing. Right. Because it shows the life of a gangster and its normalcy. It's not like you're following a specific narrative thread that has a strong rising action. Like, mm -hmm. like I, I would say Goodfellas is... In one sense, like it, it obviously does climax when he's on drugs and arrested. And yeah, that. sure. But for the most part, the movie feels pretty, pretty flat. Like you slowly see him get, you know, encultured into this mob life, even though he's not fully Italian. Yeah. And you see how he how he slowly becomes a gangster over the years. You see the same thing happen with his wife. Yep. As she slowly gets indoctrinated into the the way of the mob and what the benefits and all that. Yeah. Um, but to me, it, it feels like. A very slow, 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 slow build. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden he's on drugs. Right. And it's way too fast paced. See, I disagree because I think that Scorsese does this brilliant thing where he's allowing you to see through the eyes of Henry and then he allows you to see through the eyes of uh, his wife. Oh, my right. gosh. I'm blanking on her name right now. I, Karen, totally. Karen. Karen. He's allowing you to see through the eyes of Karen as she's becoming sort of romanticized as well. And you get that brilliant shot. It's like the most famous shot in the movie is that long steady cam when they're going into the Copacabana. That's and, one and, of my favorite parts. Of the yeah, movie. it follows them all the way down the stairs and through the kitchens mm -hmm. and all the way out the back. And it doesn't stop until they get to the front of the joint where yep. they have a table set up for them. And uh, how come they get a table right now? Eh? <laughs> we got so many people in this movie that are doing that gangster accent. Too. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. But. Karen's getting romanced into the life and you know at that point in the movie I find myself like you know watching her reclining in a convertible with Henry yeah. Hill I'm like oh man like what a life you know, do you want to recline I want, in a I want Henry Hill that's exactly what this is <laughs> but and then it gets punctuated with these moments of really brutal violence you know yeah. you when Joe Pesci kills the kid spider first uh, of all he shoots him in the foot and then he kills him and I don't want to say kid go back I don't know man I don't know. I mean, that's just the life, I guess. But Ooh, that that was one of my big struggles where I'm like, I guess Scorsese is pointing out he's using Henry as his point of view. Yeah. I would love to see like a short film from Spider's point of view, because <laughs> I would really be interested on how any part of the mob life can make you want to come back yeah. and serve alcohol to the dude who just shot you in the foot. Right. Exactly. And these people are so callous, you know, and they establish right up front, like Tommy does hits. Jimmy was doing, you know, Robert De Niro's character was doing hits when he was a kid. Yep. And so when Spider gets shot, 
it's almost played for laughs. They're like, why would you do that? Now yeah. I got to clean this up, you know? And you see Henry's face, which is just in horror because yeah. he never does kill anybody. Right. That's not something that he's ever asked to do. And the value of human life for him is something that, you know, it's we're projected onto that. The yeah. audience is supposed to be able to see like these are the consequences of what's happening right now. Real people are dying and you're supposed to see it through Henry's eyes. Right. Yeah. That that part of the movie when he kills Spider was almost harder than the opening scene. Like yeah. the opening scene, you don't know anything about the dude in the trunk. Sure. For all you know, he could have been a rival mobster that killed a bunch of their part of it. You know what I mean? Right. Like you, you don't know at that point and it's brutal, but there's not enough information to make it personal. But even that little bit that you get with Spider, you're just like, man, the dude's just I feel a bad kid. for Spider. Yeah. And partially because what was to stop them from shooting Ray Liotta when he was a kid? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for me, I saw a lot of Ray in that in Spider. Kid. Yeah. And you, you go like Henry was just a kid stealing cars for him. And this is just a kid serving yeah. him alcohol. And Well, and I thought that, you know, Michael Imperioli, who played Spider, you know, he went on to be on The Sopranos. And okay. um, I thought he did such a great job in that small part that yeah. he really did make you care for him yeah. in the like two minutes he had on screen. Yeah. So, you know, why don't we get into talking about the performances a little bit? Yeah. Because even though this movie is is cut so quickly, I do think Scorsese allows his performers to have these really great kind of yeah. shining moments if you had to single out a couple people who were your favorite performers in the movie i thought that joe pesci was perfect for what he did mm -hmm. did he win an award like supporting actor for that mm -hmm. I, I just assumed that he did because he was perfect i i was not sure if he won best supporting actor for home alone or for goodfellas but you know I, they're essentially the same role right? pretty much same yeah. number of f-bombs and yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I Joe Pesci, while I didn't like his character at all, I don't you're not supposed to like his character. Right. Uh he really I think he embodied the mob mentality of you if you're a part of the family, you're a part of the family. Yeah, sure. Even if you're absolutely insane and you kill somebody who's also a part of the family, like obviously he gets, you know, spoiler alert, he gets whacked in the end yeah. because he killed a made man. Right. But even when he kills Spider, it's kind of like, yeah, hey, yeah, why'd you do that? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, how does the family, the mob family, not realize this dude has more than a few screws loose? Yeah. And either get him committed or take all the guns away from him. Sure. Like, I, so that I think he perfectly represented that idea of like the family is the family and we protect our own, yeah. even if they're psychotic killers. I think Joe Pesci's great. Don't get yeah. me wrong. You know, he won the Oscar that year. Yeah. So, but Ray Liotta actually at one point, and this is kind of a butthole thing to say, but he said, I felt like my performance was the glue and De Niro and Pesci were the glitter. Yeah. And you know what? The more I think about it and, and this time sitting down and viewing it, I really do think the two leads that you have in yeah. Ray Liotta and uh, uh, Lorraine Bra uh, Bracco mm -hmm. were just excellent. Yeah. And they have to span 25 years, basically, across right. this movie, you know, and you have a, a kid playing Henry. So right. I think they're asked to span like 15 or 16 years. Right. But you really do watch them go from these idealistic kind of 21 year olds to these late 30s strung yeah. out drug addicts. And Ray Liotta, we think of him now as being sort of typecast in this mobster part, but right. he actually came out and said, you know, I, I grew up in a middle class part Italian family in New Jersey. And he said it was like the farthest thing from, from Goodfellas. Yeah. The toughest guy in our class was the kid who smoked cigarettes. Yeah. So for him to be able to sort of embody this character 
right. and bring that like youth and idealistic, you know, naive mm-hmm. mentality to it. And then to see what he becomes with it. I really think it's a great performance. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I honestly wasn't super impressed with De Niro's performance. I feel like De Niro's performance gets kind of buried under the others. That yeah. doesn't mean that it's not good. Yeah. It's not showy. Yeah. And I think I w- when we that. think about a De Niro performance, we're thinking about him in, front and center, in Raging Bull, losing 40 pounds and yeah. gaining 40 pounds. You know. Fun uh, fact I've never seen or heard of Raging Bull? Never even heard of it. Wow, dude. Let alone seen it. We're going to have to remedy that at some point. Well, we <laughs> definitely will have to do that. I like. Huh. No concept. The only thing I know about Raging Bull is that Martin Scorsese directed it uh-huh. and that Robert De Niro gained and lost 40 pounds. Because I've just told you those and two you things. you just told me those yeah, two things. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> you took your first pinch like a man and you learned the two greatest things in life. Well, look at me. Never ride on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. One more person I'd like to call out for their performance, and that is Paul Sorvino, who played Polly. Okay, so my absolute favorite character in the movie Goodfellas was Polly. Oh, he's great. What like he's great. Beyond any other character, yeah. I love Polly. He fluctuates between these two positions of you really feel like he's part of your family. Yes. And he's also a stone cold killer. Yeah. And he has this sort of blank expression all the time. And you don't know if underneath that is this sort of warmth or this cold hearted, right. you know, gangster mentality. Right. And the, based on the like the words that are coming out of his mouth, you kind of just have to gauge like, well, he seems to be, you know, kind of loving on me right now. So he must be warm and fuzzy. Right. But yeah, you never really know what he's thinking. And I like I like that the movie is is shot so strongly from Henry's viewpoint mm-hmm. and to a point from Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro's viewpoint, it's, it's shot from their kind of like little subgroup. Yeah, sure. And I and I think that that's why the scene uh, leading up to when Joe Pesci is is yelling at Henry, he's like, you think I'm a funny guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons that scene is so cool is because you see the different little cliques within the mob. Sure. You see him walking through and he's like, hey, I, did I tell you about that thing? And you're like, oh, like... Henry's not just a part of this one clique with De Niro and mm-hmm. Pesci. And I think that that represents real life regardless of, you know, heritage and nationality. That, like, in reality, we all have our lives attached to a lot of different things. Yeah. But we do have our own little clique that we're a part of. And I think that Polly is really strong because you you recognize that, sure, he's in charge of Pesci and Leota and De Niro. Yep. But he has his hands in so many different pots right. that he's trying to figure out what's going on. And, and he's always trying to reconcile different parts of his family together. And Well, and the thing that I love about Paulie is to me, he almost represents sort of like the old world yeah. mobster. Whereas Jimmy, you know, Robert De Niro's character is supposed yeah. to be part Irish. And right, so right. he can't be a made man. And Jimmy's the kind of guy that will look you in the eye and tell you like, yeah, we're cool. And then murder you yeah. when you turn your back. Oh, and like, you see like that he almost did with Henry, Henry. <laughs> right? But with Paulie, he'd just come out and tell you what he thinks. Yeah, and you know he he pulls Henry aside multiple times and tells him, "I'm not going to jail for you selling drugs. You right. better stop it right now." Right. And to have someone that can look you in the eye and tell you, "If you don't stop doing this, I will kill you." Yeah, there's something I, honorable. Almost, yeah, there really is. If there's any honor in this movie, it comes from Paulie's point of view. Yeah, I, and I think that's interesting. I. I hadn't really thought about this before, but I wonder what Scorsese was trying to 
point out maybe about culture as a whole mm-hmm. in the 70s, 80s, you know, I guess 60s, 70s, 80s of the transition from old world European roots, mm-hmm. at least on the East Coast, to this new generation of people who take the good things for granted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, Do you yeah. think that that was maybe a part of his thought process or because you definitely see that with Polly and and with some of the older their older members of the film that they're well and I think that's part of the brilliance of this movie is that you start in 1955 right and it's amazing to see how much America changes from yeah. 1955 to 1980 yeah you know obviously the style of clothes but the romantic sort of mafia lifestyle that you see at the beginning of yeah. of the movie by the end of it it's they're like these really seedy gangsters and everyone's yeah. kind of sweaty and gross and strung out on drugs yeah. they're in they're dealing arms and illegal drugs and it, it just doesn't seem like it's the kind of lifestyle that it once was yeah and so you kind of watch the change in culture reflected in how the mob responds to it yeah how they operate so let's talk a little bit about uh, our favorite scenes from the movie. Okay. You've mentioned a couple already, but if you had to pinpoint just one. When when he's taking Karen through the cabana, the the club. Yeah. When he when he takes her in the back entrance and and it's just shot so well, like it's one of those scenes where you're like, yeah, this is where a lot of clichés come from. Right. You know what I mean? Right, like right. the the super long line leading into the hottest club in town. But, yeah. but hey, don't worry, honey. I got a back way in. Like I know some people. Right. You know what I mean? And he walks in through the basement and he goes into the 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 kitchen and he's talking to the people in the kitchen and they're all, you know, this and that. And and that whole scene walking through the kitchen and then into the club and then not only into the club, to the very front of the club. Yeah. The so many parts about that scene are great. The storytelling aspect is great. Tell you know, showing the romantic side of the mob mm-hmm. life, but even just the technical side of that shot is spectacular. Oh, it's great. It's great. I mean, technically speaking, that's one of the best shots in the film. I think. Oh, for sure. I think if I had to pick one scene, it would be a little bit earlier than that in the film mm-hmm. when you have Joe Pesci doing the "What's so funny about me?" Yeah, uh, which has become like an iconic right. scene, but. You get everything kind of crammed into that one scene. Yeah. You get Henry's relationship with Tommy, mm-hmm. which is they're great friends, but it's super volatile. Right. And Henry doesn't know from moment to moment what's going to set Tommy Where off. he stands exactly. with Tommy. You see Tommy assault a waiter or yeah. the maitre d' or yeah. the owner of the restaurant, whoever he is. You see Tommy escalate really quickly. And you see how sensitive he is and how quickly you can set him off. Right. And so it's played for laughs and it's great. And actually, the, the cool thing about that scene is that uh, Joe Pesci improvised most of it. Really? Yeah. So Scorsese got everybody together a few weeks before the movie. Uh-huh. And he just said, OK, be in character and improvise. Yeah. And he took notes on everything they were saying to each other. Uh. And the best things that came out of that he put back into the script for the movie. Huh. Joe Pesci said that he actually got the inspiration for that scene because when he was young, he worked in a restaurant yeah. as a waiter. Yeah. And he told this mob connected guy, oh, you're funny. And he said the guy like blew up on him. Now, I don't really? think it was to the extent of this, but I, I would hope he not. kept that in the back of his mind and, and pulled it out. Yeah. But what really does it for me is the function that so that scene has in the movie. Yeah. It sets you up for what's to come. And, you, yeah. you know, obviously we've talked about it already. It kind of escalates to the point where Tommy kills a maid guy. Mm-hmm. And then even after that, he kills this kid who didn't do anything wrong to him except right. kind of stood up to him. Poor spider. Poor spider, man. Joe Pesci actually talked about the spider scene. He said, quote, it was hard for me to do because it was hard for me to justify. I had to feel the way Tommy does. So I told myself the kid would have the kid would have grown up to be a rat anyway. 
He probably would have. Yeah, he probably would have. Yeah. But that doesn't justify shooting him like, you know, eight times or whatever it was. But does it? <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day some of the kids from the neighborhood carried my mother's groceries all the way home. You know why? It was out of respect. All right, so before we get on to the next segment, I want to really quickly talk about Martin Scorsese as a director of this movie. Yeah. Now, he co-wrote the movie as well. The movie was an adaptation okay. uh, from a book called Wise Guy, which right. was Henry's story. Right. Uh, but Scorsese really helped to shape and structure it. And he he told the author of the book, Nick Pileggi, uh, we're not going to do it in a traditional way. We're going to kind of switch things around. We're going to start in the middle and loop back. And he thought that if we gave these glimpses into the mob lifestyle and, and kind of did it faster and faster, that by the halfway point, it was going to be overwhelming. Yeah. And he wanted to build to that last day. Right. What did you think about Scorsese's style in this movie? Did you think it was effective? Yeah. I think that the overview of the mob life, kind of like I talked about, it's a big vista of mm-hmm. the beautiful aspects of the mob life. I thought he did that brilliantly. I, I think he slowly moved through why it's great to be a mobster, the different types of things they did. I mean, even the, the multi-million dollar hit that they did, that went so smoothly. They're just walking in and yeah, out. He yeah. hands the briefcase. Like even that was just kind of like, man, it, it almost tapped into that James Bondy like spy. Like you're like you're just doing these secret covert things and stealing stuff, and you make <laughs> millions off of it. He does all that great. I hated the transition to the drug day. See, I've always thought that was really jarring as well. And but this time I liked it a lot better. Okay. So you know, obviously we've been talking spoilers the whole time, but. Yeah. You see Tommy get whacked. You see De Niro like breaking down and crying. You see Henry kind of going, oh, my God. And then it cuts to black and then it cuts to the day Henry gets arrested. But and not only the day, to well, me, it was very jarring that it said the like, like 6 a.m. or whatever. It was a black yeah. screen that said, you know, March 28th, 6 a.m. Yeah. 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 Why I, did he do that after not doing anything like that the entire movie? So here's the thing. It sets you up to know something's coming, obviously. Right. But. The transition is jarring and the way the characters are played is so jarring that to me, it kind of said after Tommy got killed, something happened in those relationships that they broke down because you start to see you didn't see Henry look that strung out at all. So he's definitely spiraled. Right. His relationship with Jimmy is different because he tries to go to Jimmy's house and give him those guns and Jimmy's like, get out of my face. Yeah. Everything kind of broke down after Tommy died. Yeah. And I think Scorsese wanted you to see that Tommy was like the closing chapter of the the beauty of the mob lifestyle right. and that when we reopen it a couple years later yeah henry's life is completely spun out of control it, it almost feels like a tarantino type of like act one act two act mm-hmm. three that he that tarantino actually puts in there part one part two. sure it it honestly kind of felt like that essence of like all right this part of the movie's done we're moving to this part of the movie and the reason that that totally threw me for a loop is because it didn't fit with any other part of the movie yeah you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Even if he had done something to the essence of like putting the day and date and then showing them driving the car and killing the dude. Right. And then putting the day and the date and showing Henry as a young boy. So you think the level of detail or like specificity is what kind of yeah, pulls it just, you out of it? Yeah, it threw me off. And then also just the technical way in which he shot that scene, which on its own was very well done to show what it's like to be yeah. strung out. Like he's still filming it from Henry's perspective, sure. 
but it was so much different than the yeah. slow movement of the other well, and, shots. And you're not alone there because when they started testing out this movie with test audiences, that was the part of the movie that got the worst feedback. Okay. And a lot of audiences were so upset and frustrated with it that they complained that they needed to change the whole end of the movie. Yeah. And Scorsese like dug his heels in and said that is the whole point of the scene is to get you like disoriented. Yeah. And so he and his editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, they they sped it up even more. Hmm. They made even more jump cuts. Hmm. And I think one of the cool things about this movie that you don't see a lot is the sort of like narrative and editing style. Yeah. Because even from the beginning, you've got Scorsese doing freeze frames and people narrating over freeze frames. You've got these quick pans and zooms and things you don't normally see. The camera is constantly moving. Yeah. He really taps into a lot of different styles and and different techniques throughout the film. Well, and he wanted the way they made the movie to reflect the sort of F.U. attitude of the gangsters. And he said it was going to be reckless. And he said it's this reckless attitude toward convention. Um, And Scorsese was quoted as saying, so if you do the movie like this, you have to say, I don't care if there's too much narration. I don't care if there's too many quick cuts. That's too bad. It's kind of a punk rock attitude that we're trying to show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it kind of reminds me of something very separate, but like the Beatles when Hey Jude was made, which is obviously a very long Mm -hmm. song. At the time, the longest song you put on the radio was two minutes and 30 seconds, yeah, sure. period. That sure. was it. And when they were asked about, they were like, well, you can't make a song that's like six minutes long. Like, yeah. you can't put that on the radio. Nobody will listen to it past two and a half minutes. Right. John Lennon goes, we're the Beatles. They'll <laughs> listen to the entire song. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's kind of this mentality of like, we're the mob. We're the, the I don't care how you take this. This is how it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the Beatles and and rock music, mm-hmm. the music in this movie, they used so many songs. I think they used like 45 different songs yeah. in this movie. And Scorsese, I guess, had been planning three years in advance what songs he was going to really? kind of score this movie to. So, you know, the scene where they find all the dead bodies and they're doing it to Layla, the piano part of Layla, when they're opening like the, the back of the meat truck and the guy's hanging in the back the, of the truck. The, the FBI. Or yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole montage that's set to the song Layla. Right. And I guess that Scorsese wanted it to sync up to Layla so much that when they were recording on the day, uh-huh. he was playing the song over speakers so that they could open the doors on the right beat and everything else. Really? Yeah. So he had this in his mind even that early. Yeah. I think the the a great movie that plays into how important music is mm-hmm. with movies is Baby Driver. Dude, Baby Driver. We got to get that on the podcast. I was literally thinking about that the other week. We need to get that on the podcast list. But I want to just point out, Scorsese had such a level of detail planned out that he's totally in control of what's happening in this movie. And if if you don't like the movie, then what you're basically saying is like Scorsese's vision just doesn't click with me. But you yeah. can't argue the fact that this is definitely a unique way of presenting this lifestyle. It's a brilliant way yeah. of presenting the lifestyle. And I think that's one of the big complaints about gangster adaptations in general Mm -hmm. is that it either taps into the dark side of being a gangster way too much or the the nice romantic side of being a gangster way too much yeah and goodfellas is probably one of the only films that really taps into the fact that it's both yeah the fact that reality encompassed both the good and the bad we're going to get into that a little bit more and sort of the moral aspects of this movie but i think before we do that I need to drink some bourbon. I would absolutely love to drink some bourbon right now. All right, let's go to it. All right, so we're ready to taste some whiskey. Mm. Today we've got benchmark number eight, 
as opposed to numbers one through seven. That's right. From Buffalo Trace. Now, Benchmark is a very inexpensive bourbon. Oh, yeah. So I actually uh, found out about it because I was reading this blog post called Drinking the Bottom Shelf, where this guy literally just bought like every crappy bourbon he could find huh. and drank them all. And Benchmark was one of the better rated ones. Okay. So I went to the liquor store and I got a fifth of Benchmark for $11. 11 Eleven dollars. Smackaroos. So if we're talking value based on uh, points per dollar ratio, this, yeah. might, this might be way up there for an $11 whiskey. Uh, why don't we go ahead and try it out here? Brad and I were sipping a little bit off air so we could get right into the review. Brad, how do you feel about the nose on this one? You know, it doesn't really smell like much of anything. Yeah. I just kind of, it's kind of there. It you, exists. You definitely get a lot of the ethanol. Yeah. Um, and so this is actually called a Kentucky straight whiskey, which legally means it has to be, uh, stored in Kentucky and that it has to be aged two years to be called straight whiskey. Okay. I will say this does not taste like a bourbon that was aged for two years. No. It's, it tastes like really young. Yeah. Uh, you can still smell a lot of the yeast from the mash on it, which is something that you'd think would have mellowed out. You get some some corn on the nose for sure and ethanol. And I mean, like just a little bit of vanilla, but not much. I yeah. gave it a four on the nose. I think that was my struggle with the nose is that it doesn't have any... Whiskey has certain parts of it that are supposed to smell good. Yeah. And this doesn't really have it. What'd you give it? Three and a half. Three and a half. I gave it a four. On taste, again, I think it's really young. I taste corn. Yeah. That's about all I taste. Yeah. I, I think I got a little bit more of the vanilla yeah. um, on the taste, but... I, I mean, you can you can taste the oak from, yeah. from the barrel. Yeah. There's... But, but again, I, I mean, I gave it a five. Four and a half. Be, because when you're talking an $11 whiskey, like, right. you don't expect much. Um, See, and that's that's an important question is, like expectations if i bought a hundred dollar bottle of, of yeah. this yeah i would give it a one yeah absolutely but because of the price it was eleven dollars brad yeah yeah i gave it a five a finish um you know what i don't think it had a terrible aftertaste mm -hmm. um you definitely still taste the alcohol yeah it's a little spicy uh I have heard that the mash bill in this one has quite a bit of rye in it, so okay. that might explain that the spice. Yeah. But it doesn't linger. It doesn't burn too much going down. I thought the finish for what we're drinking is quite good. I gave it a six. Yeah, I gave it a four. Okay. I, I was just – I'm not very blown away by it. I think that – I'm not a huge fan of rye. Sure. So that little bit of bitterness at the end kind of soured me, okay. if you will. So. And then overall balance, I gave it a five. I think it's pretty middle of the road. Uh, it's not offensive – like, I wouldn't spit it out, um, but I think that this is the kind of bourbon that, you know, if you need something for mixers, I was literally this about is to great. say, if you need a well bourbon yep. for mixers, yep. you are going to go to benchmark number eight, and you will be satisfied. I came out to a 20 overall. What did you come out to, Brad? Uh, let me try to do math. Okay. Four times three is 12. Four times three? 12 plus three is 15. Yeah. Plus 0. 0.5 and 0. 0.5 is 16. 16. So I came so out to a 16. We came out to an average of 18 out of 40, which puts this below average uh, and well into our uh, not wah, great. Wah. <laughs> I still don't mind it. I'm not going to lie because I paid $11. Yeah, for it. see, and that's the thing. If I pay $11 and get an 18 out of 40, that's yeah. fine. If I pay $100 and get an 18 out of 40, I'm going to be really angry. Real upset. Yeah. You know, and this is our first official episode, right, after our right. preview episode. So I figured what better way to start than with something called Benchmark. Yeah. Like, we are setting the bar here, and yeah. apparently we're setting the bar quite low. Well, and even but even then, 18 out of 40, you know, obviously if we're taking a test, we failed. <laughs> but overall, a 20 out of 40 would be, in our mind, a perfectly average. Sure. So I would say that 18 out of 40 is yeah. a good benchmark. Yeah. 
It's a good benchmark. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the movie. All right, so we just enjoyed some benchmark number eight. We enjoyed it almost halfway. Almost halfway. <laughs> almost halfway enjoyed it. One might it. say that we enjoyed it 18 out of 40. Yes, one might. Or nine out of 20. So let's do some analysis on Goodfellas, all right? So let's let's just uh, throw some facts out there. When yeah. the movie first came out, you know, we talked about this a little bit. In the first test screening, there were 40 walkouts in the first 10 minutes. Really? Yeah. Uh, but the people really loved the scene where Joe Pesci did... Am I a funny guy? Do I amuse you? Yeah. So that always scored highly. But something about the style of this movie threw people off from the get-go. Is the funny guy within 10 minutes? I feel like that's like 30 or 40 minutes. No. Well, I'd probably say it's about 20. Yeah. Okay. It, it's it's a good part of the way into the movie. Okay. But critics always loved this movie. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert, actually, in 1990 when this movie came out, he said, No finer film has ever been made about organized crime, not even The Godfather. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know if he would say that it was a better movie than The Godfather, but in terms of what it's about and portraying that lifestyle, he yeah. said, no one's ever done it better. Huh. This movie was made on a budget of 25 mil. It grossed 46.8 million. So, you know. Almost doubled back. Yeah. Basically a small success. Yeah. Uh, it received positive reviews from critics. It was nominated for six Academy Awards uh, and it won Best Supporting Actor for Joe Pesci. That was it. That's the only one that it won. Yeah. yeah it Do lost. you know who won Best Picture? Best was Picture it? that year was Dances with Wolves by uh, Kevin Costner. By Kevin Costner? He directed it, too. Oh, and he did. won Best Director over Martin Scorsese. Really? And I still don't understand why. I've so. never seen Dances with Wolves. Yeah, it's okay. Decidedly a Dec benchmark. <laughs> it's, it's an 18 out of 40. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds of guys depended on Paulie, and he got a piece of everything they made. It was tribute, just like in the old country, except they were doing it here in America. And all they got from Paulie was protection from other guys looking to rip them off. And that's what it's all about. That's what the FBI could never understand. That what Paulie and the organization does is offer protection for people who can't go to the cops. That's it. That's all it is. They're like the police department for wise guys. All right, so Brad, what do you think, uh, who was this movie made for? You know what? I, I was thinking about that, and I the movie, Scorsese tells you who the movie was made for mm -hmm. at the end of the film when he's in witness protection. Yeah. That's who it was made for. It's made for the average Joe. Sure. Who lives on an average Joe cul-de-sac. Yeah. With average Joe neighbors that always wonders, what would it be like to have millions of yeah. dollars? Yeah. To be a part of the mob? To have it all i definitely see that i think that this movie was made for martin scorsese really? i think scorsese made this movie for scorsese i feel like that's i feel like you could say that about any movie though. yeah but it's such a personal project for him that i think he wanted to make sure he captured something accurately yeah and for him it wasn't about pleasing audiences it wasn't about pleasing anybody except making sure that he you know met that bar that he set for himself yeah it's definitely a male dominated movie Right. Uh, you know, Karen is the only female really in the whole movie that gets a lot of dialogue. And she was actually really concerned that if Scorsese didn't like what she was doing, she, she was going to be cut out of the whole movie. Really? She was very concerned about it. And so she took her role really seriously. She, she portrayed Karen, she said, as an abused wife. Because yeah. she said what Henry did to Karen is no different than a guy that basically just beat his wife all the right. time. I thought her performance was great. I thought it was oh, compelling. Brilliant. The scene where she uh, has him at gunpoint in the bed. I thought that was one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah, very tense. So thank you, Lorraine Bracco, for your performance. 
absolutely wonderful. Uh, it was interesting in doing research for this. I saw an article that I didn't read all of, but it was basically titled "Why Goodfellas is Only for Guys uh-huh. for Men," um, which I disagree with. I think anybody can enjoy the film, um, but in the in the fact that it is all about men, it really is. It he was correct in pointing that out. Yeah. So that that was an interesting part of the movie. I still. I guess I don't know enough about Scorsese to say if this was a movie about him and for him. Sure. Maybe not about him, but but to me, I, I genuinely came away from that movie thinking that Scorsese was trying to portray the romantic and dark side of mm-hmm. mob life to the average citizen sure. who might be entranced by the romantic side of it all. I don't think you can take out of the equation the fact that it is such a male-dominated movie, though, because... You know, you think about mob movies and you think about this whole honor code of honor among thieves and, you know, the mafias, what they operate by. And I think this movie really tears down the idea that there is any such thing as an honor code. You know, they're all killing each other behind each other's backs and they're behaving like boys, basically. Yeah. Which which leads me to wonder, is there a moral to this story? Is there a moral backbone to this story? If there is one, I feel like Karen is the only one who kind of has a viewpoint on it Mm -hmm. in the movie. Mm hmm. And you partially get that from even just talking about a male-dominated movie. The only scene in the movie that I can remember that is solely surrounded by women is when she's in the hair shop getting her hair done. And all of the other women come across as vapid, mindless. Absolutely. So Scorsese, actually, when this movie came out, he was kind of hounded by questions of what's your movie mean? What's it about? Is there a moral to it? And he told the New York Times at the time, this movie is about money. Throughout, you constantly hear them talking about who owes who, how much. It's very important because that's what they're really in business for. The violence is not the main thing. It's just a way to consolidate power to get the money. Do you agree Mm -hmm. with that? I, I don't know if I ever caught that specific meaning from the film i don't know if that comes through for me either i feel like money is the grease that makes the wheels turn yeah but we're more interested in the wheels turning than the grease yeah and it's funny because they also interviewed the guy that wrote the book uh, wise guy nick pelegi and he said it's not about the money he says quote the violence and not anything else is what distinguishes these people from you and me yeah the only thing they have is their ability to kill you they're sociopaths Violence is the key to their lifestyle and their power. Yeah, I mean, you even look at, as one little example, you look at the funny guy scene when Joe Pesci is, you know, mm-hmm. haranguing the maitre d' and he's, he's you know, messing with him. What do you see right after that? You see the maitre d' going to the the guy we talked about his performance. Oh, Polly. Polly. Yeah, yeah. Joey, Polly. Yeah, know. sure, same thing. So he goes to Polly, and I actually really loved the scene where the maitre d' is like kind of fumbling his way through, like Polly, what is you know yeah, you gotta yeah. protect me from this guy, right? And so like I I really liked that scene a lot, and I think that it goes to show exactly what you said that it's violence mm-hmm. that. It's not money that he's asking for from Paul, from Paulie. He's asking for protection from one of his gangsters. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that I think Scorsese does successfully in this movie because uh, Pelegi went on to talk to the New York Times and say that the violence should be shocking. And he said what's happened in society is the banality of violence. Some books and movies have made violence an acceptable form of right. behavior. And Scorsese came out and said if you still want to live that lifestyle after you see this movie, it's beyond me. 
Yeah. So he wanted us to be able to look at the violence and say, look, I, I understand the attraction yeah. to that lifestyle, but the consequences are not for me. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think about how as realistic as movies can get with violence, mm -hmm. we're still inundated with Marvel superhero sure. type of violence. Yeah. And I think the bloodless violence almost is what sensitizes us to the real violence. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think, th I think films like Goodfellas are a good thing for the film industry and the fact that it shows the true nature of right. violence. I've never stabbed a man. I've never even <laughs> beat somebody up yet. Right. But I would have to imagine it's more like Goodfellas huh. than it would be like Iron Man. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, and I'd so, rather watch a movie that portrays violence that way because you see the consequences. Yeah. People aren't getting killed in a bloodless way. When someone gets killed, there's, I mean, obviously there's cleanup. But on top of that, you see the toll that it takes on these people emotionally. Right. See, I, I don't know if I would say want to see. Uh, I think uh, people should see. Right. But that. if violence is going to be in a movie, I'd rather be portrayed that way and than see, in the Marvel way. And that's the struggle with movies. Why do we go to movies? Are we going to movies to escape from reality? Yeah. Or to see the true consequences of reality? Yeah, sure. And I think that there's room for both. I don't think you should watch films like Goodfellas that only portray reality as it is all the time. Right. I think you should go see Iron Man from time to time. But what does it do to our culture as a whole? Sure. And so you have a movie like Goodfellas that has that philosophical outlook of violence has consequences when you, I guess maybe I would agree with Scorsese's viewpoint on money being the direct um, goal of this film in the fact that what are they going for? Yeah. They're always trying to get money. That seems to be the character's goal right. at all times. Whereas I, I think Pelegi's point that violence is the means to the end they're really just pointing out the two parts of the movie. The means to the end is violence to the end of money. Sure. So taking all this into consideration, Brad, and I was very surprised as Brad texted me his initial thoughts on Goodfellas. Let's hear your final verdict on Goodfellas. Did you like this movie? Did you enjoy it? How would you rate it if you had to? Goodfellas is a phenomenal technical movie. In its portrayal of the world of gangsters, um, the pros, the cons, all of that, I was just bored. I can't believe... I seriously can't believe you got bored. If there's any movie that has ever been designed to not induce boredom, I think Goodfellas is the one. There it, is no story being told. It's so rapidly paced. It's But the pacing doesn't matter. There's no story in the movie. And we talked about that at the very start, that... The goal of the movie was to show just random pictures of the mob life, of the good stuff, of the bad sure. stuff. And there was no, not no, there's few direct threads. They kind of go through the story of him and Karen getting together. Right. The story of them trying to pull off this mob heist. But I kept looking for like a narrative thread that was going to tie together the movie and there mm -hmm. never was one. I understand that. And, and like even when they started talking about this big heist, they were like, oh, we're going to make millions of dollars off this heist. And they do the heist. And then afterwards, they start whacking people who start buying off gaudy jewelry and stuff. And then it was over and they just moved on. And like in my brain, and maybe I've been trained by poorer movies to expect a storyline of some sort. But after a while, I realized that each little mini story they were telling wasn't going to matter. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped caring. Interesting. If you had to, to score it out of 10, where would you put it? Eight and a half. 
You'd give it an eight and a half after everything you just said. It's so well I feel made. like I'm in your head right now. No. I feel like I'm convincing you to give it a higher score. I wouldn't watch it more than one more time in my lifetime. Wow. Maybe in a few years I'd watch it one more time. But, yeah, to me it doesn't have a lot of rewatchability for the fact that I'm not interested in the story. Well, there you have it, folks. Brad G's scorching hot take on Goodfellas. Hey, that's just where I'm at. What about you, Bob? You already know I'd give this movie a 10. I I think that after having seen it as many times as I have, the effect is certainly lessened. Yeah. Um, But it was doing what it did so far ahead of its time in terms of what... You know, I watch a movie now like uh, The Big Short, and we talked about this a little bit last time with Adam McKay. Yeah. He mimics Scorsese's editing style in a way that's almost like he's just ripping it off. Right. What this movie inspired culturally mm-hmm. and in media, in its portrayal of, of uh, the mafia and in what it did for editing, I think is unparalleled. And I found the movie compelling. I found that it had narrative thrust. I would give it a 10 out of 10. So if you took all of the movies you've ever given a 10 out of 10 and put them back to zero and only compared them to each other, sure. what out of 10 would you give it? It would be about halfway up the list, I'd say. Okay. You know, if I've given like 100 movies a 10, it would be like a 50 for me. Okay. I think it's a great film. But I want to hear what you guys have to say. So if you agree or disagree with Brad's take, let us know about it. Send us an email. Uh, fnwpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Film Whiskey. I want to hear it because Brad deserves it. I just think that you're crazy. All right, man. I genuinely do. If you were bored by the movie but can still recognize that, yeah, it was a technically great movie, but why would I ever watch it again? Just hit us up. Let us know. We want to hear what you have to say. Next week, we'll be back reviewing the 1957 film 12 Angry Men. I'm Bob. I'm Brad. And this has been the Film Film and Whiskey Podcast. 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 Podcast.